We've been in the Psalms a lot lately, if you've noticed. It's been kind of a theme. Psalm 34, 15 through 16. We dealt with the first half of this chapter last uh, week, not 15 through 16. We're going to go 15 through 22. We dealt with the first half of this chapter last week, and um, we're going to deal with the rest this morning. Psalms 34, 15 through 16. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive, attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to blot out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles. Don't you wish that wasn't in there? The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all of his bones, not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. Uh, dear Lord, we thank you this morning for the Holy Scripture. God, I pray in these next few moments as we look into the Scripture, God, that it would be like the mirror that it is. It would show us who we really are, and we would see who Jesus really is. God, then you would help us learn how to become more like him. God, I pray uh, you would, uh, as, as I've already prayed, that you would change us today by the power of your word and by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, do a work in our hearts today. Make us more effective tools in your hands. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're just going to kind of go through. Uh, this is not going to be your typical intro, three points, conclusion uh, type message, but I don't typically do that a lot anyway, and when I try to, it, I usually fall flat, but we're going to kind of just go through the Psalms that I have just read to you. So in 15 through 16, it says that the eyes of the Lord see the righteous, or the just, the righteous or the just, those who seek justice, or treat others fairly. The eyes of the Lord sees them. You are seen by the Lord when you do what is right. When you live a life that is right that is, that, and you are trying to please the Lord and you are trying to live justly, the Lord sees you. The Lord sees that. The Lord takes note of that. When you live a life that tries to do what is just, what is righteous, what is good, the Lord sees that. Then he says, the ears of the Lord, and his ears are attentive to their cry. When you try to do what is right, the Lord sees you and the Lord hears you. The Lord sees and hears. And, and I, I don't want to just make a blanket statement of saying that the Lord sees and hears um, oh, you, know, you know that I talk about this type of stuff all the time. Just because Bradley Spiegel, that's me, said a prayer when I was three years old and said, Lord, forgive me of all my sins, wash me with your blood, come into my heart, give me a ticket to heaven. Just because I prayed that prayer that long ago does not mean that I am walking righteously and justly. It does not mean that I am walking righteously and justly. Now, don't mishear me this morning. I'm not saying that there is not a place where we start. There is a place where we start, where we submit to God. We turn our lives over to him, but we have an obligation to still follow him. 
I have an obligation to follow the, the, the life, not just in my head, not just the theology of Jesus, but the life and the deeds of Jesus. And as I follow the life he lived and the deeds he did and the way he treated people and the way he loved and the mercy he showed, then God will see that and he will hear me when I cry. That's what I believe that the scripture is telling us. Because who is the righteous one? Jesus. Our righteousness is as filthy rags, but I believe as we accept him into our lives and as his, his blood does cover our sins and we do submit to him, and then as we do follow him, I'm not trying to preach to you a works-based salvation. That is not what I'm trying to preach to you. But we know Brother James uh, tells us that faith without works is dead. You talk to me about your faith. Why don't you show it to me? Paraphrasing of, of James so when we live justly, when we live righteously, when we, when we live like Jesus. When, so what does it mean, I believe, when the, the, uh, the, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous? Our righteousness, we know, is filthy, is filthy rags. The eyes of the Lord are on those who try to live like Jesus, I believe. After all, I'm a Christian. So I believe that as we live like Jesus, as we try to live as we try to follow the path that he gave us, you know, the one that uh, few there be that find it, that one. As we follow that, then the eyes of the Lord are on us. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. As I researched this this week, this is the only instance in all of scripture that I could find. If you find something, bring it to me and I'll Accept it because I'll have no other choice. But the only instance that I could find where the face of the Lord being on someone comes across in a negative light or is portrayed negatively. The psalmist says many times, don't hide your face from me. Right? So this is the only time that I could find in Scripture where it says the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to blot their name off the earth. And I prayed about it and thought, Lord, what, what are you trying to say here? And I, I thought about my own life and all the times that I did evil. I know many of you are just shocked that I've ever done anything evil, that I've ever sinned. That's a joke. If you know me well enough, you know that I, like Paul, <laughs> want to do what I don't do and can't do what I want to do. But when, when I have done evil, what has the face of God been towards me? Sometimes it's been correction. Sometimes it has been pulling me back in. Sometimes it's been, sometimes it has been a correction. But then there's sometimes that the face of the Lord to me in my sin has been love. After all, we're told that while we were yet sinners, or you could even say while we were yet evil, Christ died for us. And, and I believe that face of the God or, or the face of God against those who do evil is against the evil more than it is against the person. Because what do we see in God, in Jesus? We see someone who deals with sin, who deals with the evil and reconciles the sinner. The sin, the evil is going to be blotted out from the earth forever. And I cannot wait until that day. Even so, come Lord Jesus.
I, like John, say, even so, come, Lord Jesus. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. But I believe it is to bring them to a place of repentance. Because that's what he did with me. That's what he did with you, after all. Think about your own life when you were an evildoer. Someone who did evil. Someone who sinned. The face of the Lord against you in judgment brought you to a place where you repented. Amen. I believe that God is going to once and for all avenge the world of all of its evils. God's face, I believe, is against evildoers because it's against evil. Ultimately, I believe that the face on the throne will be the face on the cross. Again, because I'm a Christian. And I believe Jesus was the fullness of God manifest. Why do I believe that? Because the Bible tells me that. That Jesus Christ is the fullness of God manifest. All right. Let's move on. Uh, Go to the next slide, if you would, Bo. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. He he delivers, he hears, and he delivers. And this, this verse reminds us that it is essential to cry out to the Lord. You know, we spend a lot of our time complaining to to people, crying out to people, when I believe we should be crying out to the Lord. Amen? Now, don't mishear me. I believe relationships are important. I believe that lifting one another up is important. I believe that bearing one another's burdens and thus fulfilling the law of Christ is important. But I also believe in crying out to the Lord with our burdens. With our troubles. This is what David is doing here. David knew this. And this is David that's writing this. But this psalm is written as David is pretending to be a lunatic. Do you remember the story? That David moved. uh, He left Israel, went to... Um, the land of the Philistines, and pretended to be a lunatic so they'd leave him alone and wouldn't, wouldn't think he was a threat. He would walk around and foam at the mouth and talk to himself. And It's in your Bible. And according to the heading in my Bible, it says that this psalm was written concerning that or about that time or about that situation. So, so David says the Lord delivers them from all their troubles But David had a part to play in that. I'm not telling you to take that path and do what David did. But we pray, we cry out to the Lord for the answer, for our troubles. But then we get to work. Because I believe that most of the time, God meets us in the sweat and not the tears. Say that again. I believe that God meets us in the sweat and not the tears. In 2010, I was push mowing this grass out here, and it was hot. 
And I did not want to come. Through a series of, of events, we did not have a riding mower anymore. And in the grass needed mowed. And I was up here with a push mower pushing the, the lawn. And I did not want to come. And before I came, I told the Lord I didn't want to. I said, I don't feel like mowing that grass. It's Saturday. I work Monday through Friday. I don't want to be up there on Saturday pushing the lawnmower. And it was like 100. And there were a couple other people here helping that day. But I didn't want to do it. But you know that God met me in the sweat? Because the next Saturday when I came up here to mow the grass, I got a phone call from one of my friends. And he said, are you up at the church? And I said, yeah. He said, my dad's coming up there. He's got something for you. His dad was not someone who ever attended this church, never attended this church, never. I don't know if he ever was in this. Well, when his grandkids graduated from high school, I think he came in here. He said, he saw you up there mowing last week when he was driving by. And he thought to himself when, I, when he drove by, he shouldn't be up there push mowing that. And he showed up with a brand new Husqvarna riding lawnmower from Lowe's that he had just spent $1,800 on and said, I want to just give this to you because I don't think you should be up here push mowing. And I thought, well, neither do I. <laughs> but God met, I cried to the Lord and he met me in the sweat though, not in the tears. He met me in the sweat because trouble had come and I could have felt sorry for myself and I did, but thank God I've got a wife that pushes me along when I need pushed along. So yes, God delivers us from our troubles, but just like he did David, he, gets, he gives us creativity. As we begin to move and, and, and as, we, as we pray and then we put legs to our prayers, God will give us ideas. He'll, he'll give us creative ideas. I mean, David, this is a pretty creative idea David came up with. And it saved his bacon, but it wasn't, he wasn't just sitting in a cave crying. So God hears us. God hears our cry when we cry at him and he delivers us from our troubles. But the deliverance is often met with our work. And I believe that he meets us in the sweat more than the tears. In those instances. Now, again, I, don't, I always feel like I have to give disclaimers because somebody will take that and say, well, you said that I have to work for my salvation. no. Not tears, I'm not talking about tears of repentance. When you repent, tears of repentance, God meets you there. But as you get in trouble, and you will get in trouble, in this world you will have trouble. Those are the words of Jesus. We cry out to the Lord, he hears us, but then he will meet us and deliver us. Amen. I've lived it. I've seen it. We pray and then we get to work. We pray and then we get creative. The Lord hears and delivers, but lots of times his delivery comes through our sweat. He meets us. He meets us in the field. Okay. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And he saves those who are crushed in spirit. This was um, Deb's favorite verse. And before she passed, her and I had the opportunity to talk about this a lot. He's close to the brokenhearted. 
Pastor Walker preached a couple weeks ago about he, God inhabits the praises of his people. Where is God? Where can God be found? I mean, I, I, I believe that God can be found everywhere. It is us. Our, our eyes have to be open to see. But where does he, what does he say he specifically will be found? He'll be found in the praises of his people. But he also says that he's close to the brokenhearted. God is close to the brokenhearted. If you want to see the face of God, look in the pain, look in the eyes of someone who's broken. Look in their eyes. He's close to the brokenhearted. Find a broken person and you will find God nearby. The reason sometimes I think that we go on what we call spiritual droughts is because we don't hang out with the broken. You ever had periods of your life where you're like, man, I just haven't felt God. I just haven't heard God. I just haven't felt him in so long. Look back over those periods. How often were you reaching out to the broken? How often were you close to the broken? How often in those times were you being the healing hands of Jesus? He's close to the brokenhearted. You want to hear from God? Go reach out to the broken. You want to be close to God? Go find the crushed in spirit. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. He longs to save those who are crushed. We do his work when we reach out to those who are crushed. I love this description here, crushed. I mean, that's, that's pretty hopeless. Flattened, crushed, destroyed in spirit. Have you ever been there? Someone or something crushes you? I have. Have you ever been the crusher for somebody else? Yeah, we all have. You're not alone. If you're in that place this morning, if you feel that, that you are crushed this morning, crushed in spirit, I've got good news for you. God is close to you. God is with you. God wants to save you. And we love you and we are here for you too. See, I think falsely we have in churches, I think falsely we have assumed that God is only concerned with the soul. We, we need to get this person to a place of repentance and then push them out of the way and get to the next person. Get them to a place of repentance. Okay, we're done with them. Next, next, like an assembly line. God is not just concerned with the soul. God is concerned with the flesh and the blood of each and every one of us. He's concerned when we're hurting. Yes, he is concerned with the soul. And he... And, and, Jesus did say, fear not him who can destroy your body, but him who can destroy your soul. Yes, I understand that. But I think sometimes the pendulum goes too far and we think God is only concerned with the soul. Yes, he is concerned with the soul, but he's concerned with the hurting heart too. He's concerned with the, the sick in body too. Most of his ministry was, was done at a table where people were eating and drinking and he was healing the body. That's most of his ministry. He cares for all of us, body, soul, spirit. Everything that makes you, you, God cares about. When you're depressed, he cares. When you feel alone, he cares. When you feel hopeless, he cares. You are never alone, especially when you feel crushed and broken. 
Because according to the scripture, God is near you. These aren't my words. I didn't make them up. When you feel that way, God is near. And when you feel that way, I want you to know that God is with you, but that your church is with you. And you can reach out to any of us. Reach out to your brothers and sisters. Don't go through it alone. Don't struggle alone. We are called to bear one another's burdens. Amen. Amen. God wants to save those who are crushed in spirit. Um, Next slide, Bo. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. I wish that this were worded differently. I wish it would say the righteous person won't have any trouble. But it doesn't. And I'm afraid that the the entirety of Scripture kind of is supported by this text. Even Jesus himself, like I said, says in this world you will have trouble. But then he follows that with fear not, for I have overcome the world. But it sounds like, according to this text, that once the, after the struggles begin, then everything after that will be hunky-dory. But that can't be what's being said here. Because I've known some righteous people, you've known some righteous people who have struggled and never got better. I've known some righteous people who did have bones breaking, broken, breaking. I know some righteous people whose family this morning is wrecked by grief because of the loss of a 20-year-old grandson. Righteous people, godly people, God-fearing people. The promise can't be that in this life we'll be delivered of everything. Hebrews 11, 32 through 40 says this, And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies see we all want to be in the first we all want to be in those verses but listen to what follows women received back their dead raised to life again but there were others who were tortured refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us. So that only together with us they may be made perfect. 
none of them received, received in this life what they had been promised. But there's a day coming where all will be made right, where the promise will be fulfilled, where, where, where things will be restored. None of them received what they had been promised. It was yet to come. And so as we walk through the troubles that this life brings, and sometimes we wonder, God, where are you? Why is this happening to me? Take heart this morning. You're not alone. This persecution that you're going through is not new to you. It's been going on for a long time. You're not alone. And God will make all things right. I believe that. I believe that we are not as those who have no hope. God will make all things right. I believe that. And I do believe, and I know that this, is, this, is, uh, this particular scripture is prophetic to the Messiah, talking about the bones being broken. Christ on the cross, whose bones weren't broken. Go to the next slide. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. Evil will slay the wicked. Evil, or sin, we know comes with its own consequences. Brings with it its punishment. For the wages of sin is death. We know this. But the gift of God is eternal life. Evil will slay the wicked. Adam was the first person who sinned. God said to him, where are you? And the second sin recorded in Scripture is by, his, by Cain, his son. And God said to him, where's your brother? So the first two sinners go, where are you and where's your brother? And God is still asking us the same thing. Where are you? Where's your brother? Where are you and where's your neighbor? The two greatest commandments Jesus told us are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. We got to get this right and get this right. Amen? Amen? Evil will slay the wicked, though, is what I was talking about. <laughs> Sin, sin seeks to ruin two relationships, my relationship with God and my relationship with you. And the sins I do, I'm either sinning against God or I'm sinning against you. And I know Paul the Apostle talks about sins against our own body. But when we sin, we bring harm. We bring harm to this relationship and to this relationship. And that's what sin seeks to do. But God seeks to restore. But evil will slay the wicked. Violent begets violence. Isn't that true? Violence begets violence. Abuse begets abuse. We know this. Slander begets slander. If I start talking bad about you, you're going to do a diss track about me. The young people get that. <laughs> I, don't, I didn't get it, but... <laughs> Violence begets violence. That's the world that we live in. That's why Jesus came and taught us another way. 
He came and he taught us another way. Because I believe that violence begets violence and abuse begets abuse and slander begets slander. But I also believe that love begets love. And mercy begets mercy. And we love because he first loved us. We deserved violence. We deserved judgment. But he looked at us in that state, and instead of giving us what we deserved, he gave us love. What if the people in my life, instead of giving them what they deserve, what if I give them love? What if the people in my life, instead of giving them the slander that they gave me or the violence that they gave me or the hatred that they gave me, what if I counteract that with love and mercy? And I know it's not easy. That's why I believe Jesus said, few there be that find it. Because we, we like to think in, in our circle, well, what he was talking about was holy living. About, you know, you know, when I was a kid, not wearing jeans on the platform or not wearing, you know, whatever. But what if he was talking about this, this way of love, this way of nonviolence that he lived? What if it had nothing to do with 20th century America, but it had everything to do with love and how that we think church ought to be? And I know we're in the 21st century, but I was in the 20th century when I was growing up. I span centuries. I'm not alone in here either, though. <laughs> What if the narrow way is the way, the path that he walked? The path that we're supposed to walk. You know, the Gospel of Luke tells us the same Jesus that left is the Jesus that's coming back. We love because he first loved us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, gave himself for us. If we really accept that into our life, then our lives will look like his. Our lives will be selfless, loving, and merciful. If we want our enemies to suffer, know that we are not yet like him. I don't know who your enemies are this morning. Maybe, maybe, oh, I'm going to get in trouble. Maybe, uh, maybe you want Nancy Pelosi to suffer. Or maybe you want Donald Trump to suffer. I don't know who your enemies are. But, in, but just know this. In wishing ill and evil upon others, it is in that way that you are not like Jesus. Evil will come for the wicked. Scripture tells us that. But what if we're called to be like Aaron, the priest? who went and got fire from the altar and stood between the living and the dead, stood between the coming judgment as instructed by Aaron, or I mean, instructed by Moses. He stood between the living and the dead and he stopped the judgment. Now, I don't have that kind of power. I'm not trying to say we're little gods like that, but that's, isn't that what Jesus did? He stood between the living and the dead outside the city on the cross, pushing back the judgment, giving eternal life, giving away of eternal life. And I think that's what we're called to do. We're called to see the people caught in their sin, caught in their evil way of life, and give them this life of Jesus. 
Tell them about Jesus. Offer them this life of Jesus that can save them from their sins, both in this life and the next. That's what we're called to do. What if we started to pray like Moses prayed? And I know I've talked about this before. But what if we prayed like Moses and said, God, blot my name out before you blot theirs out? I don't know about you, but I don't want to pray that way. But what if we did? What if we said, God, no, no, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is, this is what Mo- Moses in this conversation with God is said, don't wipe their names out of the book. Blot my name out. If you're going to do that, blot my name out. Because I don't want to be saved without them. And what if the people in your life that bother you, that aggravate you, what if you started to pray, God, don't save me without them? I know that's a crazy way to pray. But Paul the Apostle says something similar. And then Christ on the cross says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The first martyr, Acts the 7th chapter, as he's being stoned to death, Stephen looks at the crowd. First he sees, he sees uh, Jesus in his rightful place standing at the right hand of the Father. Then he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And the way that that looks, seeing Jesus rightly and being filled with the Holy Spirit, the way in Acts the seventh chapter it shows itself is by Stephen looking then at the crowd who's murdering him saying, Father, do not hold this against them. That's what it means to see Jesus rightly and be filled with the Spirit. Evil is coming. For this world, we're seeing it right now. The Christians in Afghanistan. It's heartbreaking. But God's with them. He's with them. The grace and the mercy we just read about. He's with the brokenhearted. He's with the crushed. God is with them. We need to pray for them. We need to pray for them. We need to make that a matter of prayer. Instead of complaining to God about somebody taking our parking spot or the, the little things that we call persecution. Imagine if somebody came into your house and find the, found the Bible app on your phone and took your life or your sons or your daughters. That's persecution. But God is there. God's with them. Amen. The world is not worthy of them. According to Hebrews 11. And theirs will be a greater resurrection. Amen. We are called to lift up the name of Jesus in the face of evil. And I know right now it feels like evil has overtaken the world in a way that never before. And I don't know if it's worse now than it's ever been or if we just have more access to it than we've ever had. But we are called to be Jesus' hands and feet to everybody we come in contact with. 
I have a circle of influence. I cannot go to, um, I cannot be in Afghanistan today, but you know what? I can be kind to my waitress. I can be kind to the lady at the grocery store. I can be kind and to my family. I can be kind to you. I can show God's love to you. I can show God's love to everybody I come in contact with today. Amen. Amen. There's evil in this world. And it comes with it. Like I said, sin brings its own punishment with it. But the gift of God is eternal life. And you have that. You have that treasure in jars of clay, as Jeremiah says. We have that treasure. All right, let's finish up. Um, Evil will slay the wicked. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. And yes, I do believe that it's talking about, uh, so if you look up condemned in your dictionary, uh, one, um, one meaning is um, sentenced to punishment, especially death. So I do believe that those who take refuge in the Lord will not be condemned in, in the final judgment. I believe that. But there's another definition for the word condemned. Have you ever, uh, have you ever driven by a house and seen a big, big red letter on the front door? It says condemned. Condemned also means deemed unfit for use. And maybe some people have told you that you are unfit for use, or that you are worthless, or that you have no worth, or that you can't be used by God. But I believe that in God you have value. I believe that in Christ you have value. Others may have declared you unfit for use and worthless. But we take refuge in Him, or when we take refuge in Him, our individuality is not swallowed up, but revealed. I believe that. I believe God made us all different, and he did it for a reason. I believe God doesn't want a bunch of robots that look the same. That was Hitler, not God. God, I believe, I've heard people say before, oh, I'm, you know, God is colorblind. No, I don't believe that God is colorblind. I believe that God loves color, and he loves individuality. I believe that. I believe he created us each different And when we yield ourselves to him, our individuality is revealed, not concealed. It's revealed, not hidden. God made us different for a reason. We all have different perspectives and life experiences. And I talked last week about wisdom and how that someone who is wise is a teachable person, is someone who is open to listening to somebody else. And I believe that. If you are closed off and you've already got your mind made up. Now, yes, there are some creedal things that we stand on and we don't change our mind on. The virgin birth. uh, Sinless life of Christ. The atoning sacrifice for our sin. Yes, there are some some things that we don't change on. So so don't mishear me there. But I believe that we need to be open to, to be taught. We need to be teachable people. We need to be teachable. We need to learn from other people who've lived different lives, learn from other cultures, learn from people with different color skin as us. 
with different experiences as us and that we all have the same value and that my opinion is not above your opinion and yours is not above mine. I believe that when we come to Christ, when we yield our lives to Christ, our individuality is revealed, not covered up. All right, God made us different for a reason. I have a lot to learn from you. I believe that. We have to be teachable. And that in Christ you have worth. You have not been deemed unfit for use. You haven't. You have worth. You are not condemned to punishment if you take refuge in God. And you're not condemned in the sense of of an old house that's unlivable. You have worth. God still has purpose for you. Amen. I'm going to have the band come back up.